What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering central please remain and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. The Health Secretary says delivering on the promise to offer a COVID booster jab to all adults by the end of January will be a huge ask. This as the NHS prepares to ramp up its vaccination campaign. Sajid Javid says more will be known about the Omicron variant in a couple of weeks when rules will be reviewed. He says there's likely to have been more community transmission. Throughout the UK, we've got 22 confirmed cases at the moment, and that will go up. It, it will certainly uh, go up, but the, the numbers are low. I hope it sort of stays that way. So uh, I, I'm not worried about the a sort of pandemic type situation. So that was Sajid Javid there speaking. Well, this comes also as a report has revealed today that up to three quarters of a million missing cancer referrals may be out there. The National Audit Office says that there are between 240,000 and 740,000 missing urgent GP referrals for suspected cancer. And that's up to September this year. Also, the NAO is warning that the NHS waiting list could double in just three years. Mm. Well, let's discuss that and uh, the rest of the day's big political stories with Steve McCabe. He's Labour MP for Birmingham, Selly Oak. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, more than 23 million people should be able to book their booster jabs by the end of next month. Do you have confidence the government will be able to deliver on this bold promise? Well, I hope so, but uh, it is a very bold promise. And, uh, you know, the reality is, although uh, they got off to a wonderful start with the vaccination campaign, they've actually been a bit slow with the booster campaign, so they're really going to have to pull out all the stops. Do you think that your constituents in Birmingham, Selly Oak will be rushing to get the booster jab? I, I think the vast majority of people will want to get the, the booster as soon as they, they can. I mean, we are into the winter now, uh, we've got the new uh, variant. Uh, I think people are a bit anxious. So I think the vast majority of people will be pretty anxious to get it as soon as possible. Do you worry that we haven't done enough to reach out to groups of parts of the community who've been hesitant to get the vaccine and also older people who perhaps haven't seen the letter, perhaps haven't uh, got around to contacting the NHS? Do you think more needs to be done to, to reach them? Yes, I think there's three different problems. I mean, there's a a persistent uh, level of misinformation being posted on social media by these anti-vaxxer people who, frankly, I think are dangerous. Uh, And I think uh, what, what they do is utterly irresponsible. I think there are probably people... Uh, who need more reassurance and I think a bit more could be done to kind of support 
and encourage them. And then there are these people uh, who, for one reason or another, may have missed out. And I think we've got to actually try and do a bit more uh, in terms of yeah. community effort to reach them. What about tightening uh, the tightening of restrictions in England this week? So um, more mask wearing now uh, back in for England, Scotland and other nations and regions have, have maintained the advice uh, and the um, focus on mask wearing anyway. But the UK is back to that. Would Labour go even further? Should we be at Plan B, work from home, vaccine passports like in Scotland? Well, I mean, obviously we don't know uh, how dangerous the Omicron uh, variant will prove to be and we don't know how quickly it will spread. But, uh, you know, the real issue in the UK, I think probably in most countries, is the impact on the health service. Uh, And if our health service is going to fall over, then you have to do everything you can to reduce the transmission. And that does mean more working uh, from home for those who can do it and other Safeguards, yes. Nicola Sturgeon has called for much tighter um, travel restrictions. Do, do you do you agree with her that the English government has been a little bit uh, lax on that front, or, or do you have concern that uh, cracking down on travel will cause just more inconvenience for for, for your constituents? Well, I'm not quite sure what uh, you know. Uh, uh, Nicola Sturgeon is, is after really. I mean, it's quite difficult to have. Uh, significant travel restrictions within the UK as she's talking about um, people uh, travelling from or to the UK, then the only real additional uh, restriction that you could introduce is actually a test before they travel uh, or, or perhaps an extended quarantine. But, I mean, we know that that has quite a dramatic impact on business. Uh, and so you wouldn't be in favour. What about, um, I suppose, the, being so focused on COVID, you talked about to us back in June that Britain doesn't want an opposition at this stage. Uh, we thought that that was quite an interesting line from our conversation in June. We were still very much in the middle of the pandemic. Labour is now doing a little bit better in the polls. Is the country ready for a change yet? Or do you think we're going to see, you know, with another wave perhaps of COVID, of Omicron, the popularity and support for the government going back up again? I think the government generally gains uh, when this uh, pandemic rears its head. But I think we've been having a pretty rough period recently. I mean, we've had all the problems that the Prime Minister's had over the, the sleaze allegations. We've The economy's not in great shape. Uh, and, you know, there's been a few <laughs> sort of uh, clangers dropped left, right and centre. So I think the government is in more difficulty at the moment, and that's why Labour are doing uh, better. Um but I think probably the pandemic favours the government still. Are you a bit disappointed that Labour isn't isn't doing better than they are, though? But we had we had more than two weeks of terrible headlines talking about uh, about Tory sleaze. As you say, the economy is uh, slowing a bit. Lots and lots of bad news for the government, and it seems that Labour can only just eke out a, a percentage point or two, you know, gain on the Conservatives. 
Well, I think it does show just how far Labour's got to travel before it starts to make a real impact. But I think, uh, you know, the evidence is that uh, the, the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, is beginning to score some direct hits uh, on the the government. I think the reshuffle the other day has brought some good performers into the front line. So I think you might start to see a lot more pressure on the government, unless, as I say, the pandemic rears its head again and that gives them a bit of breathing space. Yeah, what do you make of the reshuffle? Yvette Cooper, David Lammy, West Streeting, those seem to be the key promotions to the shadow cabinet. What do you expect You know that they will do in terms of promoting Labour and Labour's view in the next few weeks? Well, I think the, the, the key uh, issues... Uh, in health and education are Wes Treating and Bridget Phillipson and they are, you know, they're young, they're fresh, they're bright, they're good uh, media performers and I think they'll they'll bring a, a kind of new modern energy to both those departments. I think they've both looked a bit stale really in terms of Labour's message. So I think there we'll see that. I think... Uh, It'll be very interesting to see, uh, you know, what David Lamy makes of the the foreign affairs brief. I mean, he certainly has taken a stance on some key issues in the past, but it's not been a, a subject that he's been too heavily identified with. And I think Yvette Cooper, well, I mean, she knows that brief inside out. She's already been the Shadow Home Secretary. Mm. She's done a sterling job on the select committee. Uh, and actually, we do really need someone who feels able to take on Pretty Patel. So, you know, I think we're in for a much more interesting period. In, in for an interesting period. It, it seems that uh, this was Keir Starmer taking his chance to clear out a lot of the remaining Corbynites from, from the shadow cabinet. Is this uh, really where we see the end of the the, uh, the hard left, if you like, uh, taking part in the Labour leadership. Is this really uh, n- now a, a fully Starmer, a Starmer-esque cabinet? Well, I think he was bringing in people for the future. He was bringing in modernisers and people who will give the message that he wants to present. But yes, I mean, you know, the Corbyn experiment was a failure and now it's over. Okay, moving on from that. Uh, What do you expect for Christmas? Do you think we're going to be in lockdown? Do you think that it's going to be normal? As Sajid Javid uh, and the Prime Minister have said, don't cancel your nativity plays. Yeah, I think we'll get through Christmas, but I think the big fear is what will happen early in the new year. And I think the hospitals are pretty close to breaking point already. So we could be in for quite a difficult time uh, early January. And what about the supply shortages? Are you seeing any any signs uh, of that affecting uh, shops in your constituency? Yeah, I think everybody is seeing a bit of it. Uh, you know, it, it comes and goes. It's odd items just disappear from the shelves, hard to get. You know, nothing uh, at this stage, nothing too dramatic. Uh, it's just it's more a, an inconvenience. But of course, against the backdrop of rising food prices and rising energy prices. So I think you need a kind of shortage of items as well. And I think the government's got a job on its hands, A, to fix it, and B, to explain how it's been allowed to happen.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Well, for some economics, actually, first, because Britain is headed for the fastest growth in the G7 major economies this year and next. But it will suffer a setback if supply shortages are allowed to worsen. This, according to the Paris-based OECD, a lack of workers to fill open jobs and disruptions in the flow of cross-border goods due to Brexit could force companies to reduce output and therefore damage the recovery. So the the OECD's cut the economic growth forecast for the UK next year to 4.9%, but that is actually still the fastest pace in the G7. Mm, well, more economics. London's housing market is set to underperform other regions of the UK for a third year in 2022. That's according to Rightmove. It says asking prices in the capital will increase by 3%, lower than the 5% gain expected for the country as a whole. Good news for house buyers. Scotland topped the list of buyer demand per property available. Well, speaking of places to live, Tel Aviv has leapfrogged Hong Kong and Singapore to become the world's most expensive city to live in. That's according to a report from the Economist Intelligence Unit. The Israeli city climbed from fifth place last year to top the worldwide cost of living 2021 survey, pushing Paris to second. Ewan, I'm amazed. No city in the UK made it. London wasn't even in the top 10. Mm, Quite a surprise. (laughs) Well, let's uh, turn our focus uh, back to the pandemic and the vaccine uh, programme. Plenty of focus on the coming winter and the government's plans to uh, ramp up that booster programme. But what lessons can we learn from the country's handling of the pandemic? Campaign group Keep Our NHS Public launched what they called their People's Covid Inquiry early this year, chaired by human rights barrister Michael Mansfield QC. The group published their findings today saying there had been serious government's failures which contributed to tens of thousands of avoidable deaths. Well, joining us now is Dr. Tony Sullivan. He's co-chair of Keep Our NHS Public and a retired consultant paediatrician. Tony, thanks uh, for joining us on the show today. Uh, just tell us about the inquiry. Who did you take uh, evidence from? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Um, we, we had over 40, 40 witnesses in person and um, another uh, something like 20 people who gave video evidence and some written evidence. We had people of world renown like uh, Sir Michael Marmot. Um, We had um, people uh, who had led the uh, public health response in New Zealand, Professor Michael Baker, for example, um, public health uh, experts in this country. Um, whom you've probably heard on the news, Gabriel Scali, for example, um, Anthony Costello. But we also went beyond that to um, hear the testimony of frontline staff in in the NHS, in social care, 
in education, yes. in, in, in transport, uh, and some trade union um, representatives as well of the National Pensions Convention spokesperson. So we had a, a range of uh, expert opinion and, and uh, frontline testimony. And into that mix, we had representatives from the COVID-19 bereaved families for justice campaign. Okay. Tell us what then the conclusions were from, from that report, because there has been an initial report into the early stages of the pandemic from a couple of committees of MPs, Health and Social Care Committee and the Science and Technology Committees, which called it one of the most important public health failures in the UK. So that sort of initial 151-page report a few months ago, does your report differ substantially from that conclusion? Yes, in fact, that was only published in October, so you're right. Um, and we, we clearly agree that it was a gross failure of public health policy. But um, that report, the two things that are very different from our own conclusions. Mm. Firstly, uh, Jeremy Hunt, who, who faced up that, um, fronted up the presentation of that report, really, I don't know if you remember this, but he described it as a game of two halves. Yes, the country didn't performed very well in its public health um, um, responses. But in the second half, the vaccination was wonderful, wasn't it? And in a way that that was letting the government off the hook because the World Health Organization has always said uh, public health policy comes first. That protects everybody around the world until and and continuing on from the moment when we get a vaccination. And, and, and the, the failure to um, to show the, fa- the, the 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 state that the NHS and public health had been placed in by successive governments, including Jeremy Hunt himself, was a, a, a huge a, a huge um, gap in in their findings, and they didn't mm. highlight the level of inequality in this country, which you know social inequality has materially led to very, very discriminatory impact on different sections of the population. And they didn't criticise severely enough at all the government policy to divert billions and billions of pounds that should have been put into strengthening the immediate frontline response in the pandemic and instead giving it to private contractors in a way that could only really be described as cronyism and profiteering. Mm. Well, the government says that back in their back then, in the early days of the pandemic, they were doing everything they could uh, to secure the PPE which is needed. You remember the uh, massive rush there was, the struggle to get PPE in the NHS, and they said that they were uh, simply uh, doing their best uh, to find that. One of the things you uh, found in your report was that there was uh, misconduct in public office. That's quite a strong a- accusation. What do, you, what do you mean by that exactly? Um, I mean that um, the responsibility of politicians and people in public office is to um, show integrity in public office, openness, um, honesty, and to defend the population that they are representing. Um, And they've clearly failed to do that. So the failure is on different levels, really. It goes back to the pre-pandemic planning uh, and you, you are, I'm sure you're aware and the listeners are aware that, that 
uh, exercise Cygnus was a was a pandemic plan exercise in 2016. But only recently we've heard that exercise Alice was also a pandemic planning exercise, specifically around a coronavirus pandemic. Mm. And that was also in 2016. And those findings from those exercises and others showed that we were ill-prepared for PPE. We were ill-prepared to have a a strong public health response, that there was a, a, a shortage of intensive care capacity um, and shortage of ability to um, wage the public health response with digital backup to um, contact trace and isolate. So all of the, all of the main failures of our pandemic response were actually well prepared for the government and they ignored them. And then How, in okay. the pandemic response... Sorry, go and ahead. I, I suppose I want to understand also... Um, uh, the, the Prime Minister has talked about, as promised, a public inquiry in 2022. Scotland, its own inquiry later this year. Wales is considering something similar. I suppose my question yeah. to you is, uh, and we don't yet know who would be part of that public inquiry, how independent it would be, for example. Yeah. Um, but I suppose the government's argument would be there is an inquiry coming. We're still in the middle of the pandemic. So I guess what is your perspective on that? You feel that... Yeah. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think about that promise? Well, uh, I, I have no trust in the promise. I'm sure a public inquiry will come at some point. But um, you know, Michael Mansfield is very experienced in public inquiries, he, and he he knows from experience that the moment the from the moment the chair of the panel uh, and the terms of reference are announced, and those haven't been announced yet, it it can take yeah. six months or more to to really set it up. Um, so. So the case really is that the findings, the lessons to be learned are not going to be coming out for at least another six months or possibly two or more years. Now, we we know that the um, response in Britain was very slow, that we had forewarning in January that there was a pandemic coming. And two months later, the, the response of the British government w- was minimal. We had hugely delayed response, even though we were looking across the waters at Italy and seeing the, the devastation in Italy, and we were still three weeks late in locking down. And the modelling shows that a one-week earlier lockdown in the first lockdown in March 2020 would have saved something like twenty to 30,000 deaths. Twenty to 30,000 just, just, um, just, just looking forward as we move into the winter with the Omicron uh, variant on the horizon. What's your prescription for doing things differently? What should the government be doing now that it didn't do before? Right. The f- first thing is that um, the resourcing of the NHS and indeed social care should have built into it an ability to respond to emergency situations. Uh, it should be a public service. It should be integrated nationally with a, with a, a, a joined-up approach that has completely failed when they've contracted out chunks of services to the private sector. Um, the the NHS the morale of staff is really dangerously low. Uh, the the yes. they've worked non-stop for 21 months now. So there's got to be investment in 
NHS and social care, and that's got to be okay. supporting the, the morale of public servants willing to give their all to defend the population and not to private contracting that is frankly been profiteering. Bloomberg Westminster, listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.